Hello, welcome to the Gab and Jules show. No Gab Marcotti today. So look who is here. Look who is in town. Nader Manua is here with me. We've got a big show, of course, and we will start with the big game at the Emirates yesterday between Arsenal and Liverpool. But we've got also Manchester City. We've yep. got the Classica in Germany. We've had a great Milan against Juve in Serie A. Big, big games this weekend, like next weekend, of course. But let's start at the Emirates and what you made of that. Arsenal win. Mm-hmm. It's an important win, I think, in their process this season and to yes. stay at the top of the table, of course. Did you find them as impressive as I did while I was at the stadium? Well, obviously, I can't afford the tickets that you have. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was sorry to be working. it was definitely a big result and a big performance. I don't think there are many people who've left the game thinking that, you know, Arsenal were lucky to win. Mm. And I think that shows how far they've come. Obviously, this Liverpool side, you know, they're not in the best moment right now, but they still have enough quality to be able to do something. We've seen historically, yeah. you know, that they can go on big runs. And I guess it's, it's a sort of nagging thing in the back of my mind, yeah? There are so many times where I hear Arsenal fans say, you know, we're not getting the respect that we deserve. So then you say, okay, well, I think you're going to win the league. And it says, no, no, it's a long old season. Like, they, <laughs> live, they live in both, course, in both places. Yeah, yeah. And what do you think? So I think it's a 14-point gap now between them and Liverpool. Yeah. Do you think Arsenal will definitely finish above Liverpool? I still think that this Arsenal team is short in depth in the squad. Yeah. And you don't want to wish anybody to get injured or suspended or anything like that. But if you take away Gabriel Jesus from that team, mm. it's a very different team. Eddie Nketiah is a good young player, but he's not Gabriel Jesus. If you lose Bukayo Saka or even Martinelli on the other side, even if you've got other options who can play wide, it mm. won't be the same. And I think Thomas Partey is a very important piece of the puzzle for what Arteta is trying to do. Mm. I think Liverpool are going to get better because he can't get worse. He really can't get worse. Yeah. I looked at them yesterday. He showed the limits. Yeah. And I think defensively, you saw, I disagreed completely with the 4-2-4 formation that Klopp played. I think it's crazy to go away at the Emirates against a team like Arsenal in that kind of form mm-hmm. and think that with only Henderson and Thiago in midfield, you're going to be okay. Or you're going to score goals or create chances, and they did, but you're going to get overrun. You're going to get exposed. And you're going to get beaten defensively. And that's exactly what happened. Klopp can say, why the goals we conceded were not because of the system. I don't believe him a second. But I think that Liverpool will get better. Mm-hmm. Will they still finish beyond, behind Arsenal? I think so. But those limits are worrying me. Yeah, I totally agree. And that's the thing that, you know, you, maybe you like Arsenal. I know you wear a Sandura shirt, but I know you like Arsenal. <laughs> and there's still that sort of nagging doubt. We can see the imperfections that Arsenal potentially have should things go wrong. But then also we're, we're thinking Liverpool are just going to catch fire and catch fire in the way that they have done in the yeah. past. But it doesn't, right now it doesn't, it does not feel like that at all. But I think in terms of a statement from Arsenal, that is a prime time game and to beat a team who have been very much involved in title races to this point. So at worst, even if some people maybe only still believe in them a little bit, I think those players believe themselves that they can beat anybody now. Yeah, I think, I mean, the win against Spurs and Liverpool back-to-back, even if it's, they're both at the Emirates, which is obviously different than going away, I think it's a big statement. I can see, for example, some similarities with, with an early Pep Guardiola team at Manchester City. Mm-hmm. The thing that yesterday struck me, especially in the first half, is that, and, and this is where this Arsenal team has to improve, is in how they control games, especially at home. Yes. Because they considered... I think they let the ball too much to Liverpool in the first half. Mm-hmm. And in a way, they were too much under pressure for my liking in the first half when they should have been on the front foot, even if they scored that early goal. And I think City are so good because they're the master in controlling games, whoever they play against. And that doesn't always mean 
winning. Uh, we saw against Dortmund, for example, where they were controlling the game, but they were they were they were drawing first, then they went behind, and then they ended up. But in the control of how much you let the opposition have, or how much they can create, or how much you concede against them, they're the best. And I think Arsenal have a lot of good things going on, but they still need to learn on how to control the games better. Because that first half, Liverpool played some good stuff with the ball. Mm. Didn't create huge chances, but they were they were they were good spells in the game. Second half, I think Arteta changed a few things and then Arsenal were just completely dominant. So you're a believer then? I don't think I don't think anybody is as good as City. And over 38 games, nobody can compete with City. It's impossible because they've got too much depth, too much talent. But I think Arsenal are going places quickly. Yes. And I think this is this is really good. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely exciting. And it, we'll see. I think, for example, it's a really good thing for Arsenal that the game against City... Got postponed. Got postponed. Okay. So this is conspiracy theory now. Yeah? No, it's not this conspiracy theory. I think, because I think that one might have been too much after playing Spurs and Liverpool. They also have yeah. you know, United coming after and all at home, by the way. But I think... I think Maybe delaying the clash with City, which is going to be huge. Yes, yes. Um, it's not a bad thing, I think. Yeah, for sure. Well, Nate, let's let's go back a bit on this Arsenal Liverpool game and and try to to try to analyze it a little bit better. And again, let's go back to the tactics. I don't want to blame Klopp here. I mean, he's he's a he's he's a hell of a manager. Yeah. He knows better than I do. But when we were in the press lounge at the Emirates and. Two hours before kickoff, we're starting hearing people saying this is exactly the same team as against Rangers in the Champions League on Tuesday. Mm -hmm. I was like, wow, I didn't expect that at all. I didn't expect the 4-2-4 again, I have to be honest. I thought it was very risky and very brave. And I admire how brave and courageous he was to go and think, okay, this is how we're going to play because we can pin down Thomas Partey. If we've got a line of four, and it was very clear that it was a 4-2-4 and not a 4-2-3-1, for example, because Diaz... Jota, Darwin and Salah were literally on, on the half line. Yeah. The halfway line. I thought it was I thought it was too courageous. And I thought as soon as you lose the ball, you're gonna be in trouble mm. and your defensive transition are gonna su- you're gonna suffer. Yeah. First minute in, they attack. It's that Alison long ball. Yeah. They lose that duel. Yeah. They lose the second ball and then Arsenal on the attack and then that's it. Yeah. They overrun. Yeah. Uh, did, did you think like me he was brave? Yeah. It, it, so it does feel brave it really does feel brave but my question to you especially for teams like this do you think it's better to focus on the opposition or focus on yourselves in terms of changing formations and things like that but why did you change formation against Rangers because they've just considered three against Brighton that could have been six yes so he thought we need better structure here yeah he must have seen something in that game that he liked that's the thing and don't get me wrong I personally didn't think this was a good formation to match up against Arsenal away from home. But I think that's one of the differences in psychology team to team is that if you are, you know, respectfully a lesser team, you're always trying to make adjustments based on what the opposition do to try and stop them from doing what Mm. they do well. Whereas for Liverpool, they're taking a more of a front foot approach. And I think to this point, it stood them in good stead. I think teams might make adjustments against Liverpool historically, but you could see Arsenal in that game and say, well, this is how we do it. Yeah. This is why we're top and we're going to do it again. But yeah, I'm with you, especially with the 4-2-4. If it was a 4-2-3-1, maybe it's a bit different. Maybe if Firmino would have started, maybe it's a bit different. Mm. But it kind of played into their hands and that opening goal. like you just, You're away from home against a team that's doing really well. What's the last thing you could possibly want to do to start a game? 
can see the really early sort of the crowd are just there. But it's, you know, people a level accusations against Alexander Arnold and this, that, and the other. And it wasn't the best moment, but you'd like to think you'd have a setup which would be solid at the start of a game that is so big. Because for all we knew, that might have been the only goal in the game. So to concede it so early, you know what I mean? It's sort of, this is the point, isn't it? So, did it change the system because he wanted to be more solid defensively? And to be fair, against Rangers, they didn't concede. Yeah. They, he looked good. He looked balanced. He looked structured. When they lost the ball, they were, you know, like two lines of four and then the two. Yeah. I, I can, I can, okay, that's fine. But to think that you can go to the Emirates and remember they played like that at City mm. during, during lockdown, I think it was the 1 1 draw when they had Mane, Jota, Firmino, and Salah. Yeah. And, Against City, in a way, especially without fans, I think, okay, maybe because you will pin down the two fullbacks. Yeah. And, and in a way, City also at times play 4 to 4 anyway, because if the Brun plays really high and then you've got yeah, your two wide players and then you've yeah. got Haaland. Yeah. So you almost match them. But in this game, you were always going to be Chaka, Party, and Odegaard in that midfield against Henderson and, and Thiago. Mm. And Henderson and Thiago can run. It can't run that much. This no. is not who they are. No, no. And in some ways, I think for Henderson Thiago, they're good footballers. Obviously, people have different sort of perspectives of yeah. the two and they can run. I think maybe Klopp fancied it because if you say match them up to Odegaard and Shaka, they're not exactly the most dynamic of midfielders anyway. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So maybe he thinks from that standpoint, it's something which they could potentially do. And there was a lot of play which they tried to build up from deeper. And I think if maybe Jota played it a bit differently and came in a bit deeper, maybe some of those balls to sort of break the lines, maybe they're a bit safer. Mm. Maybe they play some sort of better football. But yeah. Like on the second goal, yeah. Yeah, but this is, you know, this is this is football. Like the manager, you can see Klopp knows that something's not right, something's missing, you yeah. know, and he said it's not down to tactics, you know, why I conceded the goals. Well, why did you concede the goals then? Yeah. Is it individual errors? Is it lack of belief? Is it lack of understanding? Because in some ways you'd probably prefer it if it was down to the tactics solely. Because then you can just try and address those yeah, guys yeah, in the next that's game. Very true. But it's it's a weird time. It's a weird time to be seeing Liverpool struggle because for the last few years, you know, it was only six months ago we were seeing that City and Liverpool basically have had the same amount of points for the last four years combined. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or one, yeah. Exactly, basically more, the same. Yeah. And now here we are, where you know we don't people don't really fancy them as much as they used to. Yeah, no matter where even in the Community Shield, yeah, the, the performance they put against City in the, in the Community Shield win was like, wow, okay. But to yeah, add context, ready. to add context that a community shield win again, there's watching a game and then you're seeing the bigger picture, and nobody has to like know the bigger picture in any particular game, but yeah. understand there is more to it. And for City that day, I think that was their second or third preseason game. Yeah, they that's didn't how play they many. It. That's very true. No, but that's very Liverpool, true. Basically, like Liverpool, basically a week ahead, and in yeah, terms yeah. of preseason football before the season starts, football. There's a big step up in every yeah. single week. So to come up against Liverpool when they weren't when City went at their best. You know, I think people read into it a bit too much. Seeing Haaland be disappointed. And that's yeah, when everyone yeah, went yeah. big yeah, on yeah. Nunes. And everyone was like, right off Haaland. And now here we are, two, exactly. three months later. <laughs> Can't speak for Just to finish on tactics, I think it was also telling that a 2-2 club took off Salah, mm. put Henderson on the right-hand side, brought Fabinho in. Yeah. And then suddenly it became, and then I think it was Konate for Matip who had cramps, yeah. I think. But it was it was it was back of like okay let's let's keep that two or let's try to keep that the two two I think you can you can set up in any formations you want in the end and I know this is very basic and this is not but you have to be aggressive and you have to win the ball and to win, you have to win duels and you yes. have to win second balls and yes. Liverpool didn't do it certainly not in the second half yeah. in that game where 
Arsenal were the better side by far in the second half. And and if you look at all the dual stats, Arsenal are way better, 57% to 45 and stuff like that everywhere, which I don't think at that level, you you don't, this also how you win, or maybe yeah. not win games, but certainly no, no, you no, put no, full no, into no, the no, game no. Just to control, say it bigger. to dominate. That's how you win games. Because if you win duels, maybe you create more opportunities, maybe you score more goals, yeah, yeah. maybe you defend situations better. So that dual stat, it's not one duels given duels stat. Make sure you hear the difference. It's a J and a D. I apologize. Yeah. But with it, if you are winning those duels and you are outworking the opposition, there's a good chance you'll be dominating the game. There's a greater chance you'll be winning it. I think mm. Klopp himself in the past would say he needs his team to hit this sort of distance threshold yeah. to have a good yeah, chance of winning the game. Do it now because all those things really do mm. matter because at some point you can have the tactics, you can have the skill, have the flair, but it's a matchups mm. game. Can you win the ball against this person? Can you jostle against yeah. that? It's a contact sport and you're always around people. If you're not winning your individual battles, then ultimately be losing the game. And I think that's why, you know, as we leave the game now, as I say, people believe that Arsenal deserve to win. Mm. And it's not necessarily just because they move the ball well. It's because no, they're coming right. out on top in their jaws. In their yeah, jaws. yeah, yeah. And the intensity, and you spot on on the intensity as well. I mean, we've said many times that Liverpool used to outrun you. Yeah. And they used to out-intense you in a way. Yeah. That doesn't exist, but you, yeah. you get the idea. This is not the case anymore. Yeah. It was not against Brighton. It was not against Arsenal. And then and then they struggled like that. Mm. And I think Mo Salah, just before before we go on Salah and his his own struggles, you said it's a it's it's a matchup. It's yeah, a matchup, matchup game. game yeah. Um we heard Jurgen Club before the game talking about Martinelli saying, Wow, you know, how how amazing he's become. And he's become the player that we all expected him to be because he was so good, so young. Mm -hmm. Then he said, Saka, woof. I think that was, he used the woof in his first <laughs> conference. Just quickly on that Arsenal front three, because you were a defender, yeah, you played yeah. centre-back and you played full-back. When you've got Saka coming at you or Martinelli nah. or Gabriel Jesus just nah, hustling you the whole yeah, game. Yeah, it's bad news. Like, it's, it's really, really bad news. There's sort of a matchup nightmare. Like we saw, you know, before the game, Everyone, for example, would say that Luis Diaz is really fast. Hmm. Well, after yesterday or after the game, like Martinelli's just a lot faster. <laughs> like he just got a yellow card, you know, for fouling Martinelli. And I love watching the Arsenal team at the moment because the front three are so dynamic. Hmm. You know, Martinelli wants to get the ball. He wants to go full speed at you. He wants to, and you know, this doesn't necessarily always work out, but he wants to take shots. He wants to get crosses into the box. He wants to have an end product. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's massive. And you've got someone in Gabriel Jesus who's desperate to score goals but also has incredible work rate. And even though he's not exactly like 6'3 and, you know, weighs 90 kilos, yeah. like he's pushing people around. Because he's, he's got strong. He's yeah. really strong with really nice footwork. And then Saka on the far side, the amount of times he gets people isolated 1v1, mm. you know he can go down the line, he can come inside. Yeah. He's got a really sweet cross, really nice finish. And these, these three, they just want to take the game to you. I used to love playing against attackers who were passive, who didn't want to try and really affect the game. Yeah. Or just They were there. They were there on the field, but not really doing anything. Whereas for Arsenal, they want to get the ball to that front three. And the front three want to go and just take it at the defence. But there's no let up, whether it's the first minute or the 90, if you know. They, you know you'll have a good chance of potentially defending if you can create 2v1s and a like. But sometimes you can't do that. And someone's on an island. And then say somebody's got a yellow card or somebody's mm. not at their absolute best. Like Martinelli's not going to let up because apparently he doesn't get tired either. Yeah, yeah, no. I saw him after with his uh, Man of the Match trophy. He was doing the whole flash interview. He was walking up and down, big smile on his face, like almost yeah. like if he hadn't played. Football, they look like that front three when they're at the best, it looks like they make football fun. Yeah. They're having a lot of fun just taking yeah. people on. And that's one of the reasons why I always say to anyone from young, 
my biggest bit of advice is don't be a defender because you're miserable <laughs> back there. Go and be an attacker, enjoy your football, uh, score your goals, get your assists. Okay, I, it's, it's, an, it's an easy way into to Mo Salah because we were talking about what players and I'm not here to compare Mo Salah, he's 30 years yeah, old. Yeah, of course, yeah. Martinelli is 22 or something and so it's Saka. And by the way, this Arsenal team was 24 years average. Yeah. Liverpool were 28. Very impressive, yeah. And I think, I think at times he showed. Yeah. He showed and we don't have the time on this show, unfortunately, to go on to squad planning at Liverpool. Yeah. But maybe they could have done it differently in the summer instead of putting all their money on Darwin Nunez, who might become very good, but we said that many times, but this is not one for now. However, what's going on with Mo Salah? Talk to me. <sighs> because I watched him yesterday and one, he doesn't, seem he doesn't seem happy. He doesn't seem that he's enjoying his football right now anyway. Mm. We looked at his stats just before the show together. He had one shot and that was the rubbish, yeah. uh, non-target shot. He touched the ball 29 times or something in Not 70 enough. minutes. Yeah. Not enough. Had no impact. One pass in the final third. I mean, what's going on? It's, it's crazy to see, actually. I, you know, we spoke before the show, I think it was 2017-18, he finishes the season with 32 goals and 10 assists. And as you watch him now, he's probably not even getting into the right sort of areas to even contribute, maybe half of that. Yeah. And that's what's really peculiar. Maybe some of it's to do with the way that other teams are approaching his side, Liverpool, in general. So some of the attacks which they had, which maybe lasted for longer in the past, maybe they're not quite there. So the positions he finds himself in aren't as good, but... It's really strange to see, you know, we like we can be very much caught in the moment. So let's take it back. Let's take it back a year. A year ago, he was scoring every single week. A year ago, he was up for consideration for Ballon d'Or, things mm -hmm. like that. Whereas now, he looks like, do you back him? Uh, the matchup, Tomeyasu versus Mohamed Salah, seven times out of ten. Seven people out of ten would probably say Salah's going to dominate that matchup. But Tomeyasu does really well. He keeps him very, very quiet. Yeah. And I didn't think I'd be seeing that, especially for Tomiyasu, who wants did, to play on the right-hand side. But did you think that it was clever for Marteta to put a right-footer on that left-hand side because so Salah could, yeah, so can come in that said, Yeah, exactly. Like, these little details, they do matter. He's definitely thought that through. On mm. another day, Salah could still score, could yeah, still yeah, contribute. Yeah. But Tomiyasu played well. Salah didn't play that well. And him coming off at 70 minutes. Like, we're, we're caught in two minds, I believe, because there's the Salah that we know and the Salah that we see. So Salah coming off at any point in the game feels wrong because you yeah. expect him to do something, even though for the last few weeks he's not really been doing anything. Like, I'm sure he'll come back. I'm sure he'll rise again. But he's just not, just doesn't feel anywhere near as dangerous. There was almost like a level of excitement. If you were at Anfield, I'm sure, for the last few years, Salah gets the ball on the wing and you, you get up yeah, off your seat. That feeling, you know that sound? Mm. You, you know, you go to games all the time when yeah, you fancy yeah. seats. When you start hearing the seats just like, just like just bashing up. Box, you know, yeah, well, yeah. But you know, when you hear all the seats like rise up, yeah. it's like, yeah, everyone's yeah, up because yeah, here's yeah, Salah. Yeah. Whereas now, it's just negative. Nothing's really happening and confidence matters within football. Yeah. And you can see for as much as he doesn't have it, you look further down the pitch and someone like Martinelli has it all and that's why he's trying to take it to mm. defenders. I... I don't believe at all in this big contract at 30 yeah, narrative. No, no, I don't no, think no. he has an impact on you because you've signed a bumper 400,000 £400, pound a week no, new deal no. when you're 30 years old. I don't, same with Aubameyang. Yeah. I think the issues were summarized for Aubameyang and I think they might well be for, for Salah. I just, I just think it's sad to see him. I don't know if there, maybe he needs to be dropped and benched against Rangers, for example, at on-field, the game that you're going to win with. Sorry. You call it rotation. It's, it's a way in Scotland, but rotation. Or, or maybe you don't because, because you wait for him to get that sort of 
the turning point might be he scored a hat trick against Rangers next, yeah. week, you know, in midweek this week, and then it goes again. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I think, I think as far as what would happen with Salah, I think it's going to come down to Jurgen Klopp, who knows him very, very yeah, well. Yeah. Because there are some players, for example, who maybe need to be taken out of the team to get the high back. But if his confidence is low and it's the opposite of that, if you take him out and you see and he watches someone do well before you know his confidence could be even lower. And to go back to your point about the contracts for thirty-year-olds. Like, you know, we're going to at some point talk about a player who's 38 years old, who's got yeah. 700 goals. He's, he's done, he's like his career from 30 to 37 is sure. better than most people from 17 through to, yeah. through to 40. So yeah. let's put some more perspective yeah. on that. And since when has job security been a problem? It, exactly. It should be the other way around. Literally, <laughs> that, like security allows you the chance to go out and try and express yourself and enjoy your football yeah. more. So I think we need to be sort of broader in our thoughts about that. But he's, I still believe he'll be fine. He'll still score goals. But just something's not quite there yet, that spark. And it just goes to show, again, it's still the side of the coin. A year ago, he was the most confident player possibly on planet Earth. Mm. A year later, things aren't dropping the same. The chances aren't going in. And as a consequence, this is who he is. Uh, the icing on the cake, as as Klopp said, is the injuries to Luis Diaz and, and Trent Alexander-Arnold. We don't know yet. We're recording this on Monday morning. We don't know yet how serious it is. I don't think they've done the scan. Or certainly, we haven't had the result yet. It didn't look good for either of them. No. I think the, the ankle for Trent and the knee for Diaz. Yeah. The, the, both in your fantasy team. But let's not go <laughs> there. Let's not go there for now. <laughs> Terrible management. I'm crying now. Yeah. Thanks for that. <laughs> um, just quickly to go back on, before we talk about the referee and the, the penalty and the, the one that could have been given against Gabriel, just on Arsenal, as a centre-back, we were together on BBC Radio 5 Live yes. before the game and we talked about Saliba. And I just wanted your perspective on him because you started really young in the Premier League. Yes, yeah. But at least you were from this kind, this was yeah, your culture. Yeah. For him to come with all the sort of background of they signed him before and then they didn't think he was good enough then yeah. and they loaned him out twice. What, what do you make of him and how did you feel in a game like that against Darwin Nunez that is so strong physically yeah. and I thought again we go back to match up I mean there's no secret but even if sometimes he looks a bit like too eager I still think he's, he's yeah. right I, up there I think I think he, at times he can look eager but I think that's because he wants to have an impact in the game you mm. know I'd rather have someone that was too eager than somebody who does nothing at all yeah. because it can be very easy on the field to just be there and not be taking part yeah. you know letting <laughs> someone come short letting someone running behind like letting balls go over your head all that stuff but he's not that he likes to impact things and I think the talk was that you know, after being bought and then being loaned out twice, he's arrived back to prove a point. Mm. But the thing is, he's not like mid-20s, 30 years old. He's very, very young yeah, still. Yeah. And I, I like that from my defenders. I like that from just a mentality standpoint. Because, you know, some people can go on loan and then there's this level of like animosity towards the club. I don't want to, if you don't respect me now, mm. I'm going to go. But he wants to prove a point. He yeah. wants to be in the Premier League. And as it stands, like he's been one of the standout players in the whole of the league so far this season. And in Nunes, Oh, Darwin, he's like, Darwin's older, Darwin's got more experience, all this stuff. But I thought he did very, very well. I think my only concern is, I think Gabriel's a good player, but I don't think Gabriel is somebody who feels as reliable as other people who could potentially be in that position. Like for me, in an ideal world, I'd like to see Ben White alongside him. Because Mm. even though some people might say he's not very glamorous, he's very, very constant in what he does. And... I think that's what will possibly take Saliba to the next point. Yeah. Because then he, he understands exactly what's going to happen nine times out of ten instead mm. of potentially six or seven or eight dozen a minute. No, I agree with you. Right, just to finish it off, I mean, we don't have to talk about referee decision all the time, but, but this one had a big impact. The penalty first given, the Chagol Contara on Gabriel Jesus. I give you my quick opinion before. 
uh, there's contact there and Thiago doesn't touch the ball. He touched the back of the calf. I think Jesus is very clever yeah. and knows that Thiago is behind him, that Thiago is going to put his leg there and he's clever, but there's contact there. And he was not even reviewed by VAR because you could see the contact is given. It could be soft or not soft. It's a foul and it's contact. Do you think that's given if the referee doesn't give it? No, I don't think I don't think it gets overturned because I don't think. No, as in, so the ref gave the penalty, didn't they? Yeah, so that yeah. could not have been overturned. Yeah, so if the, ref he... did, if the ref didn't give the penalty and VAR looked at it, yeah. then they would say it's obviously wrong. I think he's going to go and check it and say, okay, I've missed the contact here. I haven't okay. seen the contact, and I think it would have been yeah. given regardless. Yeah, I think I think it's uh, for me personally. I think it's one of those close ones because I can see exactly why it's a penalty and within the laws of the game, like he has contacted him. But then there's still a, an element of it where it's like, it's not the worst file you've ever seen in the world. Yeah. It's one where if it was somewhere else, you probably wouldn't be screaming bloody murder in the middle of the field saying that has to be, that has <laughs> to be a free kick. But yeah, it's a penalty and it's a great penalty by Saka as well. Yeah, it took it well. The nerves, you know, at that time it's of the, it, yeah. Some people, I told you, the two types of people on a football pitch, so the type who get excited about scoring and the ones that fear missing, you decide for yourself which one I was. I like that's very true. Um, the other one, obviously, is the handball from Gabriel. Yeah. Uh, so PGMOL said that he was too close to, um, I think it was Jota. Uh, and yet the arm is raised. Yeah. But he, it's true that he's very close and the ball goes very fast. Again, I think it could be given. Maybe some would give it even in this yeah, country yeah. where clearly the, the, the word given to the referee is that if the player is too close and the ball arrives up really fast, then don't give it. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, with that one again, I think you're right. I think some referees would probably give that. Yeah. But then in the same breath, I prefer it when they don't give it because from a defensive standpoint, first, everyone seems to know exactly where your arm is only when it gets hit because for the other 20 times of the game, that same position's arm could have been in the same yeah. spot. But sometimes, oh, it's unnatural. Listen, disconnect your arms and attach it to your head. That's unnatural. But I think there's not much you can do. And I think sometimes slow-mo makes things look worse because it gives the illusion of having time to move your arm away. But if you watch something in real time, what can somebody really yeah, do? So I'm glad that wasn't given. But then in the same breath, I don't think that's the precedent going forward. And there'll be games in the future whereby they'll give that. We'll be overturned. We'll be scratching our heads wondering, well, where's the consistency? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Gab. Just go to Indeed.com slash Gab right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Gab. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Right, enough Liverpool, Arsenal, and all of that, most of everything. What about some crickets? Yeah, let's go, let's go. Hey, Ike Casillas tweeted on Sunday afternoon that he was gay, only to delete the tweet an hour later and say that his account was hacked. Ned, if he actually wrote the tweet himself, like many believe, it was a very bad idea. Yeah, it's beyond a bad idea, beyond a bad idea. I think he must have forgotten that he has millions of followers and a huge interest within world football. Yeah. So some jokes, you know, firstly, they're not always funny. And I think when we look at what his tweet initially stood for, if it was real, he got lots of support. But then it was also a sense that, you know, it's a shame that he's had to wait this long to feel comfortable enough to say what he's saying. So then to find out that, you know, allegedly it was maybe a joke. I know he said he's been hacked, but it seems like the playbook for somebody who's made a big mistake. Big time. This is one of the concerns. If people can sort of joke around something that's so serious for so many people, then that is a huge mistake, in my opinion, wouldn't yeah. you agree? No, massively. And I think Carlos Puyol, who's, who answered the tweet by saying, oh, it's time to tell our story, just added to the whole mess, really. But at least he admitted that it was a, a bad joke, bad taste, that he, he made a mistake. But if, I mean, I don't know, if you're gay and whether you're an athlete or not, and then people are so disrespectful to your own gender, your yeah. choice, your decisions, yeah. your life, I mean, this is not on at all. No, not at all. I think they're poking fun at something which is very, very serious. Yeah. And I think that is what misses the point because those are people who've got a huge platform. Firstly, they should know better. And secondly, they've done even more damage to the point now where, you know, if maybe you were thinking about coming out, mm. why would you do it now exactly. when you see, you see what's going to happen? It's crazy. Um, on Saturday, Milan comfortably beat Juventus Jules, piling more pressure on Max Allegri. Yeah, it was a 2 0 win. It was, I don't think he was ever in doubt. I think Milan were even if Juve started okay, uh, it was a game where you kind of knew that Milan at some point would be would be scoring, would be creating chances or just needed half a chance and they waited just before the break to Mori to score that goal on the set piece and then Brahim Diaz's amazing second goal made the difference but Juve, and we said it before, there's just nothing. Mm. He's got a great player and okay, Di Maria wasn't there but still he's got two strikers, he plays 4-4-2. But there's nothing. They just don't know what to do with the ball. They can't create anything. They're not a threat. They just, it's too easy to score against them, as we saw on that set piece where they shouldn't have considered that goal. Then you and I, we texted after the, uh, the, the Diaz goal and said, like, where's the defending? Why is Bonucci letting him like, run through and everything? I'm like, what's going on here? Yeah. That, and the, that goal, I look, I look back at it and I'm trying to, I'm looking back in my mind. I'm thinking, Bonucci must have been on a yellow card. There's no way. Bonucci, one of the best defenders of his generation, yeah. has decided to move out of the way so that somebody can run through towards his That's goal. Unbelievable. Yeah, I, I don't get it. I don't understand it. It's a massive misjudgment, but it's something you expect from somebody that's younger, somebody yeah. that's not won the things that he's won, I been involved in the games that he's been involved in. But I guess that's sort of symptomatic of what's going on at Juve at this moment in time, where these yeah. little decisions, these little mistakes, they're costing them. And you can't quite explain why that is the case. No, you're right. And, and to be fair, I think... Uh, Allegri was outsmarted and out- tactically by by Pioli. They mm. shut down Kostic on the left hand side and Quadrado to Sanderson on the right hand side. They and 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 it's a good reflection. Milan are a better team. They play better. They closer to the top of the table for Juve. Mm. Even top four now, they will have to go and and fight for it. I don't think it's a given at all. And we just mentioned it briefly that Brahim just go there. It's just when you have so much momentum, mm. Nadem. And then I think your players, if you're a Milan player, you feel that you've got 
license to go if you're Brian Jazz straight yeah. after the break to try and hit the goal like this? Yeah, for sure. And it's capitalizing on a mistake. I think the ball, I forget who played the pass, but the fact that he read it and was on it straight yeah. away, that's a team that's not just back there being passive. That's part of a team that's back there, but ready to go. And boy, did he go. In mm. the end, you know, it's a, it's a great goal for them. It's a great goal in the moment as well. But yeah, defensively, there was still, it's not like he just won the ball and he was clean through on goal. Yeah, he had to go past some defenders and he's a good player. But you feel like it should have been a lot harder for him to score that. But anyway, that wasn't the only big game on the weekend. What about Dortmund versus Bayern Munich, Jules? The classical rarely disappoints, does it? Yeah, you're right. And we've been used to usually us getting excited and said, oh, maybe there'd be a match. We'll go back to matchup. Maybe Dortmund this time can. And every time Bayern, because they've got more experience, because they because they're often a better team anyway, or they've got better individual and they mm. they win the game. And we we all left a bit like, oh, if only Dortmund. And then this time, it looked like it was going to be the same. Bayern go 2-0 up away. And you think, okay, the game is over now. And then Mukoko, who was really good in midweek in the Champions League and, and played well when he came on the weekend before, it's like bringing the, the Dortmund back in, 2-1. You think, okay, maybe, just maybe. but And then last kick of the game, it's yeah. a shambles of a defending from yeah. Bayern. Like you would go mad and Oliver Kahn went mad. Yes, he did, yes. In the stand, that's hilarious, his face. You just think like, you, if you're Bayern, you can't concede a goal like that when you're two one up against your biggest rival. You would say in the title race, not, nothing, not taking anything away from Union Berlin or Freiburg, but Dortmund are, you know, the contenders yeah. with Bayern. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, for sure. And I bet you thought after Modest missed the chance, maybe five ten yeah. minutes earlier, that, that was going to be everything. Yeah, but it just goes to show you, you stay committed. You, they, Dortmund had the belief, you know, and that's something which maybe some teams don't have when they play against the Bayern Munich. That's very true. But it certainly had it. Went to the final second, and Modest made up for his mistake with that goal, which you know, with the celebration, God, they the feel like, like a win went itself. Mad. Yeah, it went it crazy. crazy. And I'm surprised you went there, but obviously you were. At <laughs> Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launcher online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million dollar stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify is your no excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash gabjewels, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash g-a-b-j-u-l-s now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash gabjewels. We just mentioned the Classica and there was big controversy in that game with Jude Bellingham's challenge on Alfonso Davis. Many think that it should have been a red card, Nades. Do you think a that? A straight red card. Well, maybe, or even a second yellow because he was already on a yellow. And do you like the fact that the referee then went on to German television to explain himself? I like the fact that referees can go and explain themselves after games. You know, you wouldn't necessarily always agree with what they're saying, but they can try and yeah. explain why they yeah. did what they did. That's the right I thing. I think that's missing in a lot of places. Mm. And the challenge itself, I don't think is a red card, but I do think it's a yellow. But in the explanation, when he talks about how he gave him a yellow earlier in the game, which wasn't a yellow, then the balance is there. But from a Bayern Munich standpoint, 
so what if you've made a mistake? Exactly. You know, like if we made a mistake and we conceded, does that mean the opposition can say, well, you know, we're just going to give you this <laughs> instead? It doesn't necessarily work that way. No. But I get it. But I think overall that he probably shouldn't have been on the field. Would you agree with yeah, that? Yeah, it may be. And I think what also a bit Bayern really unhappy is that Kingsley Coman got red cards yeah. in that game at the end. And they said, like, how can Coman get sent off? But Jude Bellingham, who I don't think so, Alfonso Davies. Yeah. It was one of those moments, you know, and the referee also said that Davies' head is quite low. Mm. Um, so it's not like if yeah. Bellingham jumps high, a karate kid in the air. And yeah. I don't know. I Listen, think it's a in, in Firstly, intent doesn't matter. And secondly, your head's not, not that low unless you've got grass in your mouth. So yeah, for me exactly. and also for Bayern Munich. Yeah, you can understand. You, yeah, you, you can understand, but it obviously hurts more because but that, you didn't win the game. Yeah, but I don't think they also drew it because Bellingham was still on the pitch. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. So anyway, Leon have finally sat the other Dutch guy. <laughs> well, I was going to say you must be happy, but please tell me more. Who are they going to choose to replace him? I don't him? want to say his name, but you know, his initials are P and B. Uh, he was dreadful. He spent 18 months there. I don't even know how he lasted that long. Um, terrible. They, they they lost four and drawn one of the last five in the league. After the game on Friday night against Toulouse at home, which they draw 1-1 with, they were terrible. Like I said, even called him out in front of, on television, on French television, by saying like, he took off Musa Dembele, so they went two up front like in Dembele. Took off Dembele when they were they wanted to win the game. They were drawing the game, and like I said, like I didn't get that call at all mm. from the manager. So I'm glad that finally they got rid. Uh, and Laurent Blanc is back six years after being signed by PSG after that infamous defeat against City in the Champions League. Uh, he's back. He will have to rescue the season. I don't know if he can do it, but. Good luck to him. Mm. Going back quickly, Nathan, to the Arsenal-Liverpool game. Uh, the FA has opened an investigation on the Henderson-Gabriel incident in that second half. What did, you, what did you make of it? So, I think at this point, it's tough to say because nobody is really so, nobody really knows what was said from yeah. our standpoint. Yeah, completely. But from speaking to some people who I know who maybe were closer to the incident, I think there's an allegation that something's been said in Portuguese. And from my perspective, I, don't know, I, I know Jordan Henderson very well. He doesn't speak Portuguese. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's a stand-he's a stand-up guy for me. Not everybody likes him and so on and so forth, but I don't think he's going to cross that line. I think he's, he's somebody who, in the last few years, has definitely been perceived as an ally. Yeah, yeah, very true. In terms of trying to find equality for all. So... I think it's right that investigations happen if somebody believes mm. that something has been said. I think that's perfectly fair. But in this instance, I wouldn't be surprised if something was lost in translation. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I think both people can be right because someone can think they heard something or someone can know that they've said something. So from my standpoint, obviously the investigation continues, mm. but I think this could go away very, very quickly. Um, Barcelona remain top of La Liga after beating Celta Vigo, but boy, was it tough, Jules. It was really tough. Nadam. I mean, they took the lead in the first half, Pedri with a goal. Uh, who I thought at time was was excellent. And then the second half, they just stopped playing. And Celta Vigo, they, they're one of those teams where they have some really, they have ballers in the team. Mm. And they, they play very expensive football. So they concede a lot of goals and chances and stuff, but they can also score a lot. Uh, and they're quite unpredictable in that sense. But Testegan literally kept Barca in the game that second half. It was Celta Vigo where the better team, better team by far. Yago Aspas was not happy with some of the refereeing as well. And I think Barcelona, and maybe because they've played so much and, you know, that defeat against Inter Milan, I think 
psychologically had a bit of an impact because they thought they should have had a penalty you know, towards the end, maybe rescue the game and they had that goal disallowed. So maybe they were still playing on their mind. They won. This is the most important. They stay at the top. No problem. But there was a bit of worries, I thought, you know, in performance. Uh, for me, it's so interesting that the big clubs want to bring in the best goalkeepers, but they don't like them to do any work. You know, and if they do work, all of a sudden it's a <laughs> yeah, crisis. Yeah, it's a bad huh? thing, but that's his job. <laughs> Manchester City and Erling Haaland continue their great form by destroying Southampton. They only scored four goals. I know, I know. What's cancel going the, on? Cancel that's the season. Crisis. Cancel the season. They're overrated. Crisis. Haaland missed a chance. Everything's wrong. <laughs> Everything is wrong. No, I think at this moment in time, City truly are, you know, they're playing fantastic football. But for all the Arsenal fans out there, City is still in second. You know, the, yeah, the, the, the top dog is For still now. Arsenal. Yeah. But City, they're playing really, really well. Front to back, Haaland up front, people at the back are playing well, midfielders are playing well. And they feel like they're very much in their groove. Obviously, it's not the most important time to be finding form, mm. but they certainly have it. And going into games, especially games like against Southampton, you just have the belief that, of course, they're going to win. And maybe four is the difference now, but, you know, the bar's been raised to a point where, you know, it's, well, four, was that enough for them? If that's yeah. where we're at, yeah, then yeah, yeah. they must be doing quite it's well for themselves. Yeah. So Union are on their own now at top of the Bundesliga after they beat Stuttgart Jules. The dream seems to continue. Incredible. I mean, they, they won on Thursday night in the Europa League. And for example, they, before that, they used to struggle a little bit the Sunday after the Europa League because they don't have a big squad and because this is all new to them and the hype, but also playing so many games and all of that. And this time again, it was tough and Stuttgart could have scored. And at the time, I thought Stuttgart was a better team. But yet, said piece, had a 15 minutes from time, and that's it. Three mm. points, Freiburg drew, Bayern and Dortmund, we said, drew as well. So now they are on their own on top. This weekend, they will play Dortmund, so we will know a bit more again. And Freiburg will play Bayern, so uh, we will have a better taste of how far those two teams can go. But for now, yeah, the dream continues, very mm. much so. Cristiano Ronaldo comes on in the first half for Manchester United, the way Everton and scores the winner and Nadem. This is his 700th club career goal. Wow. Club. I, to put it into perspective, anybody watching, ask yourself if you had 700 shots. <laughs> ask yourself that. The likelihood is no. <laughs> and if wow. you had 700, how many goals would you score? Conservatively, you could say maybe 100. This guy is out of this world. It's crazy, man. Crazy to see him sitting on the bench for Man United, but when he comes off it, apparently he's got a job to do and he does it very, yeah. very well. Wow. So no Kareem the Dream and no problems for Real Madrid Kareem against Getafe, right, Jules? Yeah, it was a derby, which is never easy. And you know, Getafe, I don't think I ever a good team to play against, easy or anything like that. They won one it. it's an early goal from Medemilitao and said peace again. There's two things here. You take the win, it's a bit like Barcelona. It's not easy, I think, on you know after the Champions League and going back to back Champions League week two. Um, you don't concede again. You don't have Thibaut Courtois. And by the way, they're a bit skeptical about when he can come back because that it's got like some sort of sciatica. Is that you say mm, in English? That's right. Yeah. Which doesn't seem to go away or back problems, which I think they're a bit worried about. Uh, but you don't concede you haven't created much and certainly not enough, I felt, in that game. Maybe because you took the lead so early then you got controlled, managed the game, all of that. Um, but it's only one goal. You take that, you just hope for Benzema to come back and and then you kind of move on. It's just, it was just one of those games where it felt like, okay, it's low in rhythm, it's low in intensity, mm -hmm. it's, it's against a team that doesn't give you much either. So it's not like end-to-end, because Getafe don't play with that kind of intensity, they're not a playing team anyway. So I think maybe that's one of the reasons. 
you take the, the you take the win. It's an hour win, like it was the game before that, and you kind of move on, and you hope that in the Champions League you get the mojo back. Mm-hmm. Now let's, let's go. Let's go back to the um, Everton United game very quickly because Casemiro made his first Premier League start. By yes. the way, he only came on before and had some highs and some lows. Yeah, he certainly did. You know, he was, he was at fault for the goal, and he had a few times where maybe he lost possession. But I think this is what United fans have been asking for. They've been yeah. desperate seeing. They spent a lot of money to bring him in. This is somebody who you know has. Like five Champions League winners medals. I think is it five? Is five, it five? Yeah, five. It's, not, it's not too bad. Sorry, it's not too bad. Yeah. <laughs> so they're obviously, he's obviously coming with a significant pedigree. I think in time he'll catch up fully with the pace of the Premier League. Catch up fully with the fact that United don't carry the same weight in the league as Real Madrid yeah. do in their own. But it certainly was promising. I think he'd probably be disappointed he didn't score the header. But at the end of the day, like it's his first start, so you're expecting bigger things going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so PSG only got a point at round, oh. but Sergio Ramos gets the 28th card <laughs> of his career, Jules. 28. That's an, I amazing. Mean, that's amazing. When the commentator said it on television during the game, I was like, that can't be true. It's 28. I know he's, so he's obviously all, you know. He's no, no, no. The eighth thing, no, 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 no. You talk as if he's 45. No, he's 36. That's not, 28 is So special. he started at 17. So let's say it's a 20, 20 year career, 20 season career. Yeah. That's you know, more than one red card a season. Bro. Yes, it's very, very impressive wow. and very consistent. So there was an insult to the referee who, I don't like this referee, I don't think he's good enough for the top flight. Earlier in the season, in the second division in France, he sent off three players of the same team. Like right. literally, bam, 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 bam. It was like, wow. Okay. Uh, so I'm amazed he was given that kind of game. Uh, I don't think he will be given any kind of big teams, big Liga teams ever again anytime soon. PSG were not good, to be fair, even at 11 against 11. They had chances to win and they could have won it. Neymar had a big chance that he missed at the end, towards the end. Mbappe was not good. He's not happy again by his positioning. He starts to do my head in. Um, and it's just not good before you play a big game against Benfica, who are a really, really good team, who won at the weekend, who coming to the Par de Prince with a lot of fans because there's huge Portuguese or you know, half French, yeah. half Portuguese community in Paris. And it's going to be a hell of a game. And this is not the kind of rehearsal that you wanted before, before a game like this. Yeah, sure. Graham Potter wins his first home Premier League game as Chelsea boss by beating Wolves easily 3-0. Nez, do you prefer to talk about his glow-up? Oh, man, what a glow-up. Incredible, <laughs> Graham. I knew you were watching. Or about how well his team played. Or both, maybe. Well, okay. So his team obviously did play well. But they were playing against Wolves. We've recently oh, sacked their manager who were in a bad spot. They're terrible. So... For the sake of, you know, being a very, very serious podcast, let's talk about his glow up. Oh, yes. So, do you know of Harrods? Is that down in Brighton? Yes. Is that in Brighton? No, I don't think they have in Brighton's, but they have it in Chelsea. Oh, ah, it's a West London thing. No, it's, it's funny, isn't it? He looks, he looks really good now. <laughs> so it fits the bill. You know, he seems like a West London type of guy now. And it's great. <laughs> like, you, it's, all, it's so crazy. Even psychologically, you sort of, you fancy him a little bit more. And I think, yeah, he knows what he's doing. Yeah, he I see what part, you mean. That whole look good, feel good, all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, no tracksuit anymore. No, no, no. no, no. Tracksuit, West London. As the manager of Chelsea, <laughs> don't be oh, ridiculous, my friend. Love it. So, Xabi Alonso had a great debut as by Leverkusen manager Jules with a 4-0 win against Schalke. Yeah, I think a few people were maybe surprised that he was given the job. Um, our friend Rico Suave, uh, Gerardo Seone, just got, they psyched him. They had the worst, I think, start of the Bundesliga in 40 years or something. Not much better in the Champions League. Um, certainly their last game. 
and then to go for Xabi Alonso, considering that he was only managing the reserve team at Real Sociedad, it's a, it's a big call. Mm. They played well that game, really well. Moussa Djabi was outstanding when it, once again, scored a, a lovely goal, set up Frimpong, who was fantastic too. So great debut. Well done. Let's see how far he can go, how far he can take that team. And and just to come back on his appointment, you played against him. You you know you know the managers that he worked under, obviously, yeah. and what kind of guy he was. You can't be surprised that he became a manager. No, not at all. So technically, he was obviously very, very good, but he was so intelligent as well. Yeah. You know, he never really saw him flustered. And you can tell there's some players where you can get behind them because they just, they know it. You know, he gives off that sense of true knowledge on and off the field. So I think for him to be selected as your manager, even though some people might be surprised by it, mm. you wouldn't be surprised if further down the road he's really successful because he has a very keen eye for the style of play that he wants yeah. based on the managers he's had before, the influence he's had from others which he's watched. And you can tell he's like a student of the game. So I, I like it. I'm interested to see how he does. And it's a very interesting appointment for them, but one that could be very, very prosperous in the long term. No, I agree. Antoine Griezmann's contract dispute is being resolved. So he starts for Atletico yes. Madrid against Girona. And he shines. Oh, my you boy. seem happy. Is this what my you wanted boy. to say? My, yeah, because I, this didn't make any sense. You can't just have a player for 30 minutes in games. And certainly not of his talent. And maybe certainly not a player like him who needs to play 30 minutes, bring him on every time at, on the hour mark. He's, he's, he's sad in a way. And I think he's crazy in another way that he, he found himself in that kind of position. Xavi yeah. said it would be resolved this week. They would announce it probably later on this week that he made the move permanently now to Atletico and they don't have to just play him 30 or 25 minutes. And that is good. And we saw after five minutes, he set up the first the Korea goal and you saw everything that he brought to that team. And I, even him, I think before he was probably playing with with a handbrake kind of things. Oh, it's just half an hour or maybe I need to to do to show so much in half an hour. Whereas now, maybe there's a bit more sort of peace of mind in like, okay, I'm going to start. I'm going to play the whole game. If I don't do anything in the first half an hour, it doesn't matter. I still have an hour after that yeah, to, yeah. to impact the game instead yeah. of just having like, oh, I just have 30 minutes to impact the game. I need to do something and maybe you rush things and it's not the same. Yeah, for sure. Tottenham go back to winning ways with a proper Conte-esque performance in Brighton. Maybe. Yeah, Conte-esque. It's, it's winning football. You know, he's, he's had a lot of success throughout the years, throughout his career. It's not necessarily the type of thing where, you know, you're going to pay two, three, four hundred pounds, euros or whatever to go and see that style of play. Yeah, yeah. But they'll be involved. There'll be success there. He's got really good players. And worst of all, if your team goes down against Tottenham, what a situation to be in because you know how they're going to play, mm. but then you also know they've got the chance to go and hit you on the break. So you're caught between a rock yeah. and a hard place with that. But I guess that's the beauty of his tactics and the beauty of the players that he has at his disposal right now. But the image of the game is Antonio Conte in tears during the tribute for Spurs fitness coach Gian Piero Ventrone, who passed away last week, Jules. Yeah, it was it was incredible, really, very moving. Uh, you, don't, you don't really see Antonio Conte crying that often and they were very close. Ventrone was his fitness coach when Conte was a player yeah. at Juventus all those years ago. Uh, and then obviously he came to help him at Spurs with... We know in the summer how Ventrone made them work hard physically and all that running and they were all like kind of sick on the touchline. And I think because the illness happened very quickly and he was 61, 61 is too young to die, really. And and I think you could see how all sad they were. You saw Hugo mm. Lloris after the game, you know, walking around towards the Spurs fan with a shirt saying Ventrone on the back. We saw one of the assistants of Conte holding up the shirt as well during the game and before the game. And to see Conte in tears and really, really emotional 
paying tribute to his friend, I think he's his mentor in a way and someone who's worked with him, worked for him as well. It was very moving. And, and this is also, I think this win is also obviously for the Ventroni family, for for for, for Gian Piero and, and all the people who've worked with him and who are very sad right now. Marco van Basten did all hold back, Nadem, on his comments on Neymar. He was on Dutch television, I think he's a pundit now, and he said that he hopes a nasty guy come and deal with the Brazilian. I mean, <laughs> to <laughs> because me, there's too much whinging, he said, and too much, too much, like, you know, theatrical. Yeah, it, I feel like Neymar's the type of guy who you want to have on your team, but if he's not on your team and he's doing some of these things, then it can be very, very frustrating. I think... Um, you know, he's not going to move the needle. Some people love him. Some people hate him. Yeah. I think what Van Basten said feels a bit strong. It's a bit strong, isn't it's it? It's a bit strong, especially because if some, if that was to happen, say, for example, this week or this weekend, uh, how would you really feel? Yeah. You know, the, the game is the game and people don't like who they don't like, but it's not the game where people go out to sort of affect people's careers. Definitely In a negative manner, would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, we all know players who had to cut their career short because of an injury after a tackle, you know, mm. and Van Basten himself, you know, his ankle was messed up and he had to, to go through surgery who messed it up even more, but because he got kicked and kicked repeatedly by defenders. So for him to come out and say like, I want someone to sort him out because I don't like the way he whinges or rolls around on the floor all the time and I don't want a nasty guy to come and... I'm yeah. like, wow, really? Yeah. We're in a different place now. If you want to, if the people you don't like, you beat them in a different way, you know? Yeah, but yeah, one yeah. Way is you, like, don't, you don't take days or years off their careers. You don't do that. No, I was very, very surprised to hear him saying that. Yeah. Napoli is still cruising at the top of Serie A. Oh, what a team. <laughs> what a, <laughs> well, they are getting more and more uh, impressive as the weeks get by. Listen, they are City, I mean, maybe Arsenal to a lesser degree, but it's City and Napoli. And this is it. For really, me, yeah. Europe right now, better than anybody else. Fun to watch, scoring for fun. I think they're on 22 goals already this season. They scored six against the Ajax, obviously, in the Champions League in midweek. Mm. Nice four. Cremonese are not very good. Uh, you can probably still play for them, even, <laughs> even the shape you're in now. Uh, I don't know about but, that. <laughs> but it's just that everybody's, everybody is sort of participating. Everybody's getting in. You know, you score... El Cholito Simeone, Kravaskelia, everybody, Raspadori, everybody jumping on goals is so good to watch. They they just and again we go back to confidence that you yeah. were mentioning earlier. When you have that kind of confidence and momentum, you feel like nobody can stop you. You go into a game yeah. where you feel like we're gonna win. At some point we're gonna score and and we know we're gonna win. Do you it's think crazy. it's gonna last? I thought they would win it last season and I th they had that really deeper form start turn of the year especially at home where they had draws and draws and draws and draws at home uh, I think they would have learned from that from those mistakes I think from that kind of experience I think I think they're the real deal I really do believe that there's a long way to go both in Europe and in the league and again I think if Kravatskelia gets injured it's not the same uh, maybe, uh, or if they lose Zelinski, or but oh, look at Ozyman is injured now, and we thought when he got injured, oh my god, without Ozyman, yeah. he's not going to be the same. Yeah. And Raspadori and Simeone have picked up, and so I don't know. I want to see more because they're really fun to watch. Yeah. On Sunday, the draw for Euro 2024 qualifiers was made. Nedem and England will face feminine team. Yes, they certainly will. It's uh, it's that team Italy yet again. Ooh, it's that man Mancini again who's done Ooh. half a good job by winning the Euros, but then getting the chance to watch us. Team building. Yeah. Team building is watching the World Cup together. Yeah, of course. That's team Gelling. building. So don't, don't, do not qualify for it. <laughs> 
Make sure you watch it together. You know, that that's crazy to think about. And then interestingly, wasn't it North Macedonia that knocked them out in the yeah, thing exactly. as well? So there's exactly. might be a bit of trauma with that. So two yeah. teams with significant trauma. Yeah. But yeah, that's gonna be uh it's gonna be an interesting matchup. Yeah, it'll be. I mean, we should remind everyone the top two qualify. So it's not like if one of Italy and England will not qualify. Well, one yeah, might not qualify. Listen, my no, but friend. still, I mean Ukraine and Malta are the other two teams in that group. But North Macedonia, you but never North know. Macedonia, okay. You never know. Given, you never know. Given how yeah. England played in the summer. True, that's true. That's yeah, well, true. We'll see. We'll yeah, see. we'll have uh, France, Ireland, the Netherlands are in the same group with Greece, Gibraltar, Wales are with Croatia, Turkey, Latvia, Armenia. You've got Spain, Scotland, Norway, pretty good. Georgia as well with Vaskalia that we just mentioned, uh, Napoli, and then a few at Northern Ireland with San Marino, Kazakhstan, Slovenia, Finland, Denmark. So all of that to watch uh, coming up. You can qualify via this or via obviously the Nations League as, yeah. as always. So it was a big win for Inter on Saturday at Sassuolo Jewels. Thanks to the one and only Eddie Zeko. Did you play with him? I did. Oh, I love him. What so guy. he became, he's 36 and 205 days. I mean, 206 days now, but or seven. But by the time they played that game against Sassuolo, He's called a brace. They won 2-1. Huge win because they've been struggling a bit in the league. Uh, and he became the oldest player in Serie A history to score brace, uh, right, okay. beating Sinisa Mihailovic. And I think the third oldest player to score full stop uh, in Serie A. There's Pandef ahead of him, who was 37, something like that. And I can't remember who the other one is. I mean, I'm always fascinated by longevity in, in everything, you know, but I think... Football is such a hard sport, especially when your striker may be more than a defender. I don't know, but for him to still still scoring, being in that kind of form is a is a is a big 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 respect. He's a very very good player, technically really good, tactically really good. And one thing I say this as a joke, but with a bit of seriousness to it, as you get older, some people say you lose your speed. Well, if you never had it, that means you can yeah, play forever. Exactly, that's true. Uh, bad news though, uh, coming from Brighton. Uh, Naden, because Enoch Mwepu, the midfielders, just announced his retirement from football after having a heart condition. Yeah, and he's only 24 years of age. That's crazy. You know, it, it's so, so, so sad. sad. It's so sad because he's got potentially his best years ahead of him. But then now he objectively has his best years ahead of him because he's protected. You know, he's looking bigger picture. He's understanding mm. that quality of life is a very significant thing. And for as sad as, say, we may be for him and some people, some other people perceive it to be, when you look at his statement, he's happy to have been from where he's from, yeah. gotten the chance to play in the Premier League, mm. to have played the games that he's done. And the career is shortened, but it's a career nonetheless. Yeah. Right? He seems like he's immensely proud of that and we wish him all the best yeah, for the definitely. future. Definitely. Um, so Dybala scored the winner against Lecce, but he got injured in the process. What's the latest on him, Jules? Yeah, it was a pen. They were one one. They were drawing one one with a team that was down to ten men from the twentieth minute or something. Uh, he scored that penalty, and as soon as he hit it left foot, he, I mean, his face just changed, and straight away you saw that the pain in his, in his quads uh, was 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 big and real. He came off, and then Mourinho said, "I thought it was bad looking at him. No, nah, I know he's." he's it's really bad. Uh, it looks like he's going to miss the World Cup uh, with Argentina. Uh, I don't know if he would have played a big part or not into Scaloni's plans, but it's, you know you want the best player to go to the World Cup anyway, and it's not good. It's not nice for him if he's going to miss more games with with Roma. Injuries was always a problem when he was at Juventus. He spent a lot of time injured too, and we. As good as the start of the season was, we've always been a bit like, oh, let's hope he doesn't get injured. It seems that it's the case now. 
On Friday night, in front of almost 80,000 fans, England faced USA in the game between the two current best women teams in the world. What happened, Nathan? Well, you say the two best currently. I'm sure some people will disagree with that. But, you know, this is the 2019 World Champions in USA in 2022. Well, who can be better than world champion against European champions? Well, time Brazil, past, time South past, American. And that was one of the interesting things because... This U.S. women's team looks very different to how we did three years ago. That's true. But they still have high expectations. For anyone that knows women's football, they know that USA, they tend to be favourites. They're there to win. They're a dominant force. And England, even though they won in the summer, they weren't necessarily favourites from the get-go. So there are other teams within it. Spain are obviously in crisis and the like. But it was a really good game of football, you know, in a sold-out Wembley Stadium. And it gave people that sort of little taste of what the tournament next year down under could be like in the World Cup again. And it was a really good game of football, yeah. really good to see. And to see the England women themselves, they're um, they're in a better spot now because they were, in some ways, favourites against the team, which historically has been the best. Mm. Um, Jules, Frank Ribery, who announced that he retires from football. What an incredible career. And to mention something about this, I played against him when he was under 21. Did you? I did, yeah. Go on, then tell me more about that Ribery, that game against Ribery then. Well, you know, contrary to popular opinion, I actually played football for quite a while. And yeah. uh, that <laughs> takes me all the way back to 2005. And it was the England under 21s versus France under 21s. And it was the first leg of the playoff to qualify for the, for the Euros. Yeah. And I'll never forget, it was my first time playing for the 21s basically, being involved. And we're walking down the tunnel before the game, so like two hours before the match, and you're seeing all the players walking down, you're seeing like Jimmy Brions and people yeah. like that, like you know, recognizable players. And then it was this skinny, skinny guy, like in the French tracksuit. We were curious, does he play for the team? You know, who is this? No one had a clue. We're yeah. just joking around. And then I was on the bench for that game. It's one of the best seats in the house for what I can only describe as a masterclass. Frank Ribery was wow. absolutely incredible. And looking back throughout that yeah, time, yeah. I ended up playing against a few players who had very, very significant iconic careers on that international stage. But Frank Ribery, that performance is top 10, one of the best performances I've seen through my career. He was wow. absolutely, he was unplayable. Yeah. And think about how many times in, you, in your life watching games or playing games, we can say somebody was yeah, unplayable. No, definitely. But that's exactly what he was. And then it got so bad that in the second leg, me as a centre-back, I got put to left-back and I was basically told I need to try and like stop him myself. What a task for somebody who doesn't ever use their left foot. But I did okay. But still from that point, you watch Frank Ribery going forward. You knew exactly who he was. You knew his yeah. name. And he's had an incredible career. And the fact that, you know, I retired before him and he played another four years, even though I'm four years younger. Like, you know, <laughs> I don't know if that says more about him or says more uh, more about me. So yeah, talk me, talk me through that. I mean, incredible. It's, it's a sh- I mean, it's a shame. He's 40, he'll be 40 in April. So it's a shame, but he's had a really good career, 20 years of it. His knees are just, yeah. just gone. Uh, really, I think his last game was August 14th and he hasn't been able to play with Salernitana, who he's still under contract with since, since, since August 14th. So he would announce it very shortly now, but he was kind of leaked in France over the weekend. Incredible player to start with. I think he won 23 trophies with Bayern Munich, including the Champions League, of course. And on that left wing, he was at times just unplayable because the skills and the, mm. the acceleration, especially not the he had pace, but for me, it was always more the acceleration. I covered him for France for many, many years, including in the EO6 World Cup, where he was a, a breath of fresh air because he was this kid coming out of nowhere, pretty much. He didn't make, didn't do an academy, for example. I think he was a bit naughty at school and not very disciplined. He went to a, through a few academies, but had to, so had to go through lower leagues and just made his way all the way to the top. Um, 
funny and yeah he had there were stories of course and there was the you know a lot of controversy as well i think through his career uh but yeah i think on the pitch off the pitch only within the dressing room it was a, a great teammate to have a great player to watch and to to get to know too so we'll miss him it was about time i think for him to go but yeah you know, one of those players that every time you were watching him, you were like, oh, wow, okay, we, we're here to spend a good time because he was so entertaining. Yeah, for sure. Right, that's all we have time for, my friend today. Thank you so much for coming. It was an absolute pleasure to have you on. We'll be back on Thursday, of course, for a new edition of the Gab and Jules show. Gab will be back as well. We'll reflect on all the Champions League. And as he always says, love yourself, love your neighbor, <laughs> love the game. Real quick, what's the easiest choice you can make? Window seat over middle? Taco Tuesday over salad? What about selling with Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash gabjewels, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash gabjewels now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash gabjewels.